purity in America. A similar vicious circle perpetuated the, the racial hierarchy in modern America. From the 16th to the 18th century, the European conquerors imported millions of African slaves to work the mines and plantations of America. They chose to import slaves from Africa rather than from Europe or East Asia due to three circumstantial factors. Firstly, Africa was closer, so it was cheaper to import slaves from Senegal than from Vietnam. Secondly, in Africa, there already existed a well-developed slave trade, exporting slaves mainly to the Middle East, whereas in Europe, slavery was very rare. It was obviously far easier to buy slaves in an existing market than to create new one from scratch. Thirdly, the most and most importantly, American plantations in places such as Virginia, Haiti, and Brazil were plagued by malaria and yellow fever, which had originated in Africa. Africans had acquired over the generations a partial genetic immunity to these diseases, whereas Europeans were totally defenseless and died in droves. It was consequently wiser for a plantation owner to invest his money in an African slave than in a European slave or indentured laborer. Paradoxically, Genetic superiority, in terms of immunity, translated into social inferiority. Precisely because Africans were fitter in tropical climates than Europeans, they ended up as the slaves of European masters. Due to these circumstantial factors, the burgeoning new societies of America were to be divided into a ruling caste of white Europeans and a subjugated caste of black Africans. But people don't like to say that they keep slaves of a certain race or origin simply because it's economically expedient. Like the Aryan conquerors of India, white Europeans in the Americans, in the Americas, wanted to be seen not only as economically successful, but also as pious, just, and objective. Religious and scientific myths were pressed into service to justify this division. Theologians argued that Africans' descent from Ham, son of Noah, saddled by his father with the curse that his offspring would be slaves. Biologists argue that blacks are less intelligent than whites and their moral moral sense less developed. Doctors alleged that blacks blacks live in filth and spread diseases. In other words, they are a source of pollution. 
These myths struck a chord in American culture and in Western culture generally. They continued to exert their influence long after the conditions that created slavery had disappeared. In the early 19th century, Imperial Britain outlawed slavery and stopped the Atlantic slave trade. And in the decades that followed, slavery was gradually outlawed throughout the American continent. Notably, this was the first and only time in history that a large number of slaveholding societies voluntarily abolished slavery. But even though the slaves were freed, the racist myths that justified slavery persisted. Separation of the races was maintained by the racist legislation and social custom. The result was a self-reinforcing cycle of cause and effect, a vicious circle. Consider, for example, the southern United States immediately after the Civil War. In 1865, the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution outlawed slavery and the 14th Amendment mandated that citizenship and the equal protection of the law could not be denied on the basis of race. However, two centuries of slavery meant that most black families were far poorer and far less educated than most white families. A black person born in Alabama in 1865 thus had much less chance of getting a good education and a well-paid job than did his white neighbors. His children, born in the 1880s and 1890s, started life with the same disadvantage they too were born to an uneducated poor family. But economic disadvantage was not the whole story. Alabama was also home to many poor whites who lacked the opportunities available to their better-off racial brothers and sisters. In addition, the Industrial Revolution and the waves of immigration made the United States an extremely fluid society, where rags could quickly turn into riches. If money was all that mattered, the sharp divide between the races should soon have blurred, not least through intermarriage. But that did not happen. By 1865, whites, as well as many blacks, took it to be a simple matter of fact that blacks were less intelligent more violent and sexually dissolute, lazier and less concerned about personal cleanliness than whites. They were thus the agents of violence, theft, rape, and disease. In other words, pollution. If a black Alabaman in 1895 miraculously managed to get a good education and then applied for a respectable job, such as a bank teller, his odds of being accepted were far worse than those of an equally qualified white candidate. The stigma that labeled blacks as by nature unreliable, lazy, and less intelligent conspired against them. You might think that people would gradually understand that these stigmas were myth rather than fact 
and that blacks would be able over time to prove themselves just as competent, law-abiding, and clean as whites. In fact, the opposite happened. These prejudices became more and more entrenched as time went by. Since all the best jobs were held by whites, it became easier to, look, to believe that blacks really are inferior. Look, said the average white citizen, blacks have been free for generations, yet there are almost no black professors, lawyers, doctors, or even bank tellers. Isn't that proof that blacks are simply less intelligent and hardworking? Trapped in this vicious circle, blacks were not hired for white-collar jobs because they were deemed unintelligent. And the proof of their inferiority was the paucity of blacks in white-collar jobs. The vicious circle did not stop there. As anti-black stigmas grew stronger, they were translated into a system of Jim Crow laws and norms that were meant to safeguard the racial order in the South. Blacks were forbidden to vote in elections, to study in white schools, to buy in white stores, to eat in white restaurants, to sleep in white hotels. The justification for all of this was that blacks were foul, slothful, and vicious, so whites had to be protected from them. Whites did not want to sleep in the same hotel as blacks or eat in the same restaurant for fear of diseases. They did not want their children learning in the same school as black children for fear of brutality and bad influences. They did not want blacks voting in elections since blacks were ignorant and immoral. These fears were substantiated by scientific studies that proved that blacks were indeed less educated, that various diseases were more common among them, and that their crime rate was far higher. The studies ignored the fact that these facts resulted from discrimination against blacks. By the mid-20th century, segregation in the former Confederate states was probably worse than in the late 19th century. Clennon King, a black student who applied to the University of Mississippi in 1958, was forcefully committed to a mental asylum. The presiding judge ruled that a black person must surely be insane to think that he could be admitted to the University of Mississippi. Nothing was as revolting to American Southerners and many Northerners as sexual relations and marriage between black men and white women. Sex between the races became the greatest taboo and any violation or suspected violation was viewed as deserving immediate and summary punishment in the form of lynching. The Ku Klux Klan, a white supremacist secret society, perpetrated many such killings. They could have taught the Hindu Brahmins a thing or two about purity laws. With time, the racism spread to more and more cultural arenas. American aesthetic culture was built around white standards of beauty. 
the physical attributes of the white race, for example, light skin, fair and straight hair, a small upturned nose, came to be identified as beautiful. Typical black features, dark skin, dark and bushy hair, a flattened nose, were deemed ugly. These preconceptions ingrained the imagined hierarchy at an even deeper level of human consciousness. Such vicious circles can go on for centuries and even millennia, perpetuating an imagined hierarchy that sprang from a chance historical occurrence. Unjust discrimination often gets worse, not better, with time. Money comes to money, and poverty to poverty. Education comes to education, and ignorance to ignorance. Those once victimized by history are likely to be victimized yet again. And those whom history has privileged are more likely to be privileged again. Most sociopolitical hierarchies lack a logical or biological basis. They are nothing but the perpetuation of chance events, supported by myths. That is one good reason to study history. If the division into blacks and whites, or Brahmins and Shudras, was grounded in biological realities, that is, if Brahmins really had better brains than Shudras, biology would be sufficient for understanding human society. Since the biological distinctions between different groups of Homo sapiens are, in fact, negligible, biology can't explain the intricacies of Indian society or American racial dynamics. We can only understand those phenomena by studying the events, circumstances, and power relations that transformed figments of imagination into cruel and very real social structures.